Welcome to episode number 129 of the Pioneering Today podcast with me, Melissa K. Norris, your host, where we talk about raising, growing, and preserving your own food using old-fashioned wisdom and skill sets in a modern world. On today's episode, we are going to be diving into your food storage and your kitchen. In particular, we're going to be talking about organization with it all and how that ties together for a really big impact on your time management, your budget, and your health. Pretty big statement. A lot of things we're going to be covering in this episode, but it's really true. This is the perfect time for us to be talking about this. Number one, because I am in the midst of doing that, and part of my goal with the Pioneering Today podcast is to really share with you everything that we are doing step-by-step here on our homestead so that you can apply it and work through right along with us. At the time of this recording, which is February 2018, this is the time of year right before things start to really ramp up on the homestead. This is kind of that last month where we're still doing a lot of things in the house before we really get started with our livestock that'll be coming in the spring and all of the stuff that has to do with the garden and starting the starts and planning and getting all of that done where the focus really shifts from being in the kitchen and doing a lot of those projects to still being in the kitchen quite a bit, but also involving the outside project. This is when I really like to look at how I things have set up in the house and make adjustments where needed. I've been doing a lot of that this year. For those of you who have been longtime listeners or who listened to our earlier episodes in January, you know that my word or my goal for this year in 2018 is strategic. I really want to be strategic with everything that I'm doing. And part of that falls into the kitchen. So I have a confession to make. I am not an organized, neat person by nature. Just does not come to me naturally. In fact, when I was in high school, I had a group of friends and there was boys in this group of friends and they came over to our house and they're like, wow, most girls keep their bedroom like really neat and picked up. Yours isn't. <laughs> Such a true statement at the time, trying to do better as, as I age and learn more. But it's just not something that comes to me naturally. For those of you who were born with the organization gene, it just skipped over me. But the good news is we can overcome and we can figure out ways that work for us, even if it's not our first natural inclination. What exactly does organization have to do with your food storage? Well, if you're a homesteader or someone who just wants to make sure that they have a backstock of their food, it has a lot to do with it. First off, how many times have you went to the store and bought, for example, a can of coconut cream only to come home and realize you had two jars, they were just shoved way in the back, but what you were really out of was shredded coconut. Apparently, I have a thing for coconuts, but you get my drift here. So not only did we waste our time, because now you either have to change the recipe or you have to go back to the store and get the ingredient you were truly out of, which is all a waste of money because, hello, it's extra gas funds, extra wear and tear, and your extra time to go back and do something that if you had been organized in the first place, you wouldn't have had to do all that and have the hassle. So you see, it can kind of be a vicious cycle when we're not organized, especially with our food storage and we don't know what we have because it's not something that we can easily see or we're having to really dig through and be like, man, do I think I have this? Do I have that? And it's just not something that we can easily access and see at a glance. 
this is a real life example for me. You knew you had a bag of almond flour, and so you decided you were going to try that brand new recipe, only to discover on opening the bag that there's only a quarter cup left and you need a full cup. You don't realize this until you've actually already mixed all the other ingredients. So that's why we're going to be addressing that today, and we're going to get straight into it. It all comes down to organization, my friends, or in these examples or cases, lack thereof. So how do you get organized and decluttered once and for all? Well, first off, let me say with everything, it is a process. You are not going to do this overnight. It is going to take some work and some time, but you're a homesteader. You got this. We are not afraid of putting in the work and the time. There are some things that I have learned about myself, especially when it comes to getting organized. And I can't tell you, I wish I had learned this way earlier. So hopefully I'm saving you some time if this is you. This is what I finally learned. I have to stop wasting time rearranging your clutter. If you are tidying up the same old mess or you constantly find where you clean up and you get some in area clean, and then just a few weeks later, maybe days later, heck, maybe even hours later, you're having to do it again, then that means that you have not gotten to the root of your clutter problem. It just means you're rearranging it. We got to stop rearranging our clutter. I started in the kitchen this year because not only is that the main room that people come when they walk into our home, but I spend the majority of my time in the kitchen. We're a from scratch household, which means that I am operating out of the kitchen every single day when it comes to making our food. I actually pretty much prepare all of our meals. My kids do hot lunch. They're in public school right now. And so they do hot lunch once a week. They're allowed to do hot lunch once a week. For my husband, myself, of course, because now I'm working from home exclusively, I pack their food and their lunches. I make breakfast every morning and I'm making dinner. And that includes the majority of our snacks and desserts. And all of that stuff is coming from our kitchen. It's not something we're running to the store or going through a drive through that type of thing. So I put a lot of time in the kitchen and my entire home office. So where I record the podcast, where I write the blog posts, all my computer work, plus all of our home stuff you know, bookkeeping and paying bills and all of that is in a corner of our kitchen. So I have a built-in little corner nook that is our home office. I'm basically in the kitchen mm, probably 90% of the time. Here's what I've learned when it really comes to redoing an area and getting things organized that's going to last and it's going to be efficient. Everything comes out and down. If we are talking about a cupboard or a shelf or a drawer, and in most of the instances, I just decided to devote an entire weekend to a whole area. So I spent one weekend doing the entire home office, and that included all of the shelves and the cupboards and the file folder drawers that were surrounding it. Another weekend was devoted entirely to the kitchen cupboards. Because it takes a whole weekend and sometimes longer. But for me, if I just do a drawer at a time, now if that's all you have time for, then by all means, please start there. But I found it to be most effective for me if I do an entire area at once. Because if I just do a drawer at a time, it's I just kind of start to get going and then I'm pulled away. If I only have like, say, 10 or 15 minutes that I'm going to be able to devote for it. It's not really enough time. I just start to get immersed in it and then I've got to backtrack. The other thing is because with the method that I use with taking everything out, if I only take everything out of a drawer and then I'm going to give you my criteria for what gets put back, then 
I have to do something with the rest of that stuff and it's going to need to go in different places. And if I'm not redoing the other drawers that go with it or the other areas in that spot, then I'm kind of at a standstill. I have actually found for me, it works best to just do an entire area right then and there. So I do devote that time to the weekend because it's not something that I can do in just a short period of time. So there's that caveat. So look at your schedule and kind of how big the area is. See where you need to go. For me, I kind of find doing the whole shebang at once is what really gets the job done. So as I said, everything comes out. Everything. Even if you know what's going to be put back there, take it all out. Then wipe down the space with a damp rag and cleaner if needed. So obviously the top of the shelves, go ahead and dust that off. If it's inside a cupboard, wipe them down. You get my drift. Here is where we get down to the brass tacks, as they say. This is the criteria that I use for what to keep and what to toss. The tossing part doesn't necessarily mean that you're throwing it away or that you're putting things in the garbage. It may mean that. It may mean that it's it's paper, that's something you're going to be shredding, burning, compost pile, recycling, maybe something you're regifting to someone else. It could be something that's going to the thrift store. What I mean by the keep it or toss is the toss is it's not going back in that area. It is finding a new home, whether that's outside of your house, in someone else's house, in the garbage, whatever. It's not going back in that area. Sometimes it gets transferred to just a different area of the house where it makes more sense where it actually is going to be used. So let's get into this. Okay. Do not, do not, I think you got this already, put everything back. We need to evaluate each and every item. Here's the evaluation that I use. Number one, how often is it used? Do I use it daily? Do I use it weekly? Do I use it at least once a month? If it's something I use daily and in that spot, so for example, when I was redoing the kitchen, I opened up the drawers that were next to the stove. Now, in the drawers that were next to the stove, to the immediate right of my stove, and I'm talking about my oven, and then I have an electric cooktop, so it's all one unit, right? The drawer to the immediate right of the stove, before, you guys, was just silliness. It held some Ziploc gallon freezer bags and some toothpicks, because I had them all stuffed in there. Then the drawer to the left had some spaghetti noodles, a hodgepodge of rice, some really old dried black-eyed peas that I didn't even know were in there that it probably were like four or five years old. So too old to really do anything with. How often did I use them? Well, not really often because my husband and I are pretty much gluten-free right now. If you've been listening to our previous episodes, you know that I'm doing the keto diet to reset my gut health and really work on some autoimmune issues with thyroid and hormone imbalances. So I do cook spaghetti for the kids, so they will use these organic spaghetti noodles. But maybe once every two months is how often I'm using them. And then obviously the black eyed peas, I don't cook very often because I didn't even know that I had them. They were shoved way in the back. So this was not good use of those drawers because the items that were in there were not being used daily, weekly, or even really once a month and definitely not really in that spot. It was not the correct spot. So I went and got big, large container that was tall enough and put all of the spaghetti noodles, I bought them at, I buy them at Costco, so I do buy organic spaghetti whole wheat noodles there for the kids. And of course, when you buy it at Costco, you are buying in bulk, right? So I bought a big enough container that I could fit all of these packages in and once, just took them all out of the plastic, put them all in this container, clear glass container, so I could easily see how much I had. And they were all in one spot, and then they were standing upright instead of laying down in a drawer, and then they got moved into a different area of the kitchen that was further away. 
And then instead in that drawer, I put in my spatulas and stirring spoons because it's right at the stovetop. I use those all the time in cooking. And then also in that drawer went my canning funnels and my jar lifter because that is the burner that I do the majority of my canning on. So now instead of walking halfway across the kitchen, I don't know why I kept them there to begin with, and grabbing all my canning stuff when I need it right there where I'm operating the canner and the jars, it's right there. I don't even have to take a step. Boom, open the door. There it is. So that's my main criteria on deciding what's going to be going back first is how often is it used and is it used in this spot? Now, because usually part of the reason that we need to get organized is we have too much stuff. We have too many things in that area, too many things in our house. So I also look at it and think about, okay, well, how often am I using it? And obviously, if it's daily or every week, I'm using it enough and I'm going to be keeping it. But is there another item that can do the same job? So for example, I had a punch bowl and a glass pitcher. When does not need both punch bowl and a glass pitcher? Because I'm usually not hosting events where I need enough liquid to have a glass pitcher and a big punch bowl. Plus, the punch bowl really creates a lot more mess. It's bigger to store. It's not as easy of just to pour things out or to even refill it. And maybe once a year, maybe once a year. So I kept the glass pitcher because I use that a lot more often and it's a smaller item. So it doesn't take up as much storage space. Plus, if I really need another pitcher or I really needed a punch bowl or something like that, I can borrow an extra glass pitcher from a neighbor or somebody that I know and for the once a year that I may need it. And honestly, I got rid of those, that glass punch bowl, oh, probably about two or three years ago because this is some of the stuff I talk about in Handmade, the Made From Scratch Life. Edit that, please. I talk about when I first started this within Handmade, the modern guide to Made From Scratch Living, my newest book. And that's when I really first started going through and evaluating. And it's, Something I've also learned about getting organized and decluttering is it's something that's a lifelong process. Your home changes and you're going to go through times where you're going to go back through your kitchen and realize, you know, I don't use this anymore or I do use this a ton, whatever it's going to be. So it's not always a one stop thing, but if you can really get a big revamp done and get it organized like I'm talking about doing right now, the next time you need to kind of go through and fine tune it, it doesn't take nearly is long and it's much more manageable to upkeep. And point number three, which we really kind of dove into and talked about with point number one is, is the item in the most logical spot? So another example is I need my whisk at the stove. I'm whisking stuff into sauces or thickeners or that type of thing. But instead I had my whisk in a drawer that was on the completely opposite side of the kitchen. So if I needed it, I would have to stop what I was doing. One, hope it you know wouldn't burn or things wouldn't start to thicken up too fast or not get incorporated. I walk all the way around the other side of the kitchen in the island to get my whisk. Silly. So now I have it actually on top of the counter in a utensil cutty. So quick recap on our criteria. One, how often is it used? Two, is there another item that I already own that can do the same job? Three, is the item in the most logical spot? So that's how I really determine if it's staying. So if it is, if I use it daily or weekly, okay, it's going to stay. Is there another item that can do the same job? No. Okay, it's staying. Is it in the most logical spot? Mm, sometimes it's not, and it needs to be moved. If it is in the most logical spot, boom, that is a for sure keep putting that baby back in. So the real 
crux of this or what's really going to make it work. And this is not anything new, you guys. It's stuff that, you know, I've read and seen or heard advice for a number of years, but it's so true. And sometimes that's just it. We just have to realize it, right? We, we have to realize that it is true and then make the change. Everything that you have left that you're deciding to keep in that area has to have a very clear home. The secret to staying organized is everything has a place and you can quickly see when it's not in its place so that you immediately take action. Sometimes, and this is what happened to me, is I thought everything had a place, but, and this is especially true when it comes to my kitchen countertops and my home office, really my home office, is if you find that there's small little piles somewhere, then you might need to rethink that not everything really has its place. So like I said, this happens in my home office. I have folders, I had folders set up for papers and bills. So I had a file folder that said bills to pay. I had a file folder set up that had kids stuff. So any of their sports paperwork or school paperwork that came in that I needed to put into a file folder. And then I had some that was for different things that I'm working on with the blog, different series or, you know, just different areas, different courses that I'm taking that I need to keep track of the paperwork and learn. So all of these had different file folders and they were set up on a little letter organizer on top of my desk. But I had, and there will be pictures in the show notes. So to access the show notes and talk about resources, get access to any of those things I'm talking about, you can always find those at melissknorris.com. Click on the podcast button. And this is episode number 129. So you can see pictures of my before and after. Yes, we are showing and telling. So I would end up with piles of paper, though, all over my desk. And the reason for that is because the mail would come in or the kids would hand me papers. And instead of digging out the file folders, they would just stay right in little piles until I had time to deal with them on top of my desk. And so there was constantly having piles of these papers. And then when I would get around to it, you know, maybe once a week or so, then I would get around to actually filing the papers. So there was the breakdown is I didn't have time to file them all when they came in and then things would get lost. There would papers be like, oh man, I know I saw that paper. I didn't file it yet. Oh, let me see which pile it's under. Things would just start to get tossed on there. And that's another thing that I've noticed is when you start to get little piles, it's really easy just to throw things there because it's not picked up. If everything is clear and you set something down, it's immediate. You're like, oh, that doesn't belong there. I need to put that up. I need to put it in its home. So I actually needed, I do need individual file folders, but what I needed was just a bin, an area to drop all of the papers when they come in the house. So when we get the mail out of the mailbox or the kids empty out their backpacks and hand me everything, even though I don't have time to go through and individually file and deal with all that stuff, I just needed an area that I could drop it all in, that it would stay contained, and then I could later, because that's what was naturally happening anyways, and later that week I could go back when I have time and actually go through those papers. That way none of them get lost and there's not piles everywhere. And the same thing flows right over into our kitchen. And like I said, my office and my kitchen are one and the same, so I'm naturally talking about both of them. But Let's talk about our food storage. So once you've went through and done this with your cooking supplies, your appliances and the flow, then it's time to actually look at the food. 
So we raise a lot of our own food here on the homestead. Many of you know we raise all of our own beef, our own pork. I've got my hens for eggs, and then we raise and butcher all of our own meat chickens. And then we raise an ICANN upwards about 500 jars a year of food. I still do purchase some things, though, in bulk from the grocery store. Not everything in bulk, but I do try to purchase in bulk because it helps with the food storage and it's cheaper and it cuts down on the time I'm on the road or going to the store. But let's talk about that because I know a lot of you, if you're just beginning to build up a food storage, you're like, goodness, I don't have the funds to just go and completely replicate and buy duplicate of everything I've got. And I don't necessarily know where to start with my food storage. So that's what we're going to talk about here. And also a resource note, if you are wanting to dive further into growing your own food for your food storage like we're doing, you're going to want to look back at episode number 124, which is how to plan your best garden and harvest for a year's worth of food, even if you've never grown a garden before. You're going to want to go and get those show notes that are in there. I've got some free printables and check out that episode in depth. It's going to have a ton of information to help you out. But let's talk about organizing our food storage and our pantry and how that's naturally going to lead into you building up a food storage. So here's what I noticed about the food that I purchased from the store and my home canned stuff. When my food is in the clear containers, aka mason jars, I love you things. Oh my goodness, they make my world go round. But when it's in a mason jar or a clear glass container, the majority of mine just happen to be mason jars, I can tell at a super quick glance exactly how much I have of that food. When I leave it in the container from the store, I can't tell if it's almost empty unless I pick it up or I open it, depending on what it is. Most of the stuff isn't see-through. You know, it's bags or boxes, that type of thing. Plus, bags did not go into neat rows, nor do they stack easily like mason jars or other glass food storage containers. Bags, when they're full, they might sit upright, but then as you start to use them, they start to fall over and they're just a jumbled mess. At least that's the way it rolls in my cupboards and pantry. And it's really easy to just take that bag and toss it into a cupboard or shelf. And then pretty soon I'm losing things at the back and then I repurchase it when I don't need it. Or I think I have a lot more almond flour from our previous example than I actually do because I can't tell it just a boom, quick glance. And I can't even tell you how much time I've wasted or spent rummaging through piles to find what I want. That is wasted time. And none of us have time to waste, right? It's also a lot harder to practice proper rotation when things are a mess. So first order of business, and this is what I did for all of our covers and all of our food, and it has been amazing. Okay, if possible, put all of the food in one large clear container. Now, what do I mean by this? So I use quart size mason jars, half gallon mason jars, and one gallon mason jars, if at all possible for this. Usually because that's what I've got on hand. I've got excess jars. My jars are constantly in rotation because as the crops, different crops come in, I'm, you know, canning and then we're using that. And I just use mason jars for everything. They're a great investment because I can use them for canning if I need to. I can use them for dehydrating. I can use them for dry food storage. I even use them for leftover containers just in the fridge instead of Tupperware. I love to use glass. So that's the majority of the sizes, though, that I use when it comes to this type of food storage and organization is those larger ones. Sometimes the pints, but not very often. 
Now, I also went, I didn't want to spend a lot of money. Most of us don't want to spend a lot of extra money, but I did know that it was worth it for me to go and get some glass containers so that I could fit some of these things in. Like I said, the spaghetti noodles, I didn't have a mason jar that was tall enough that I could fit all of them in. So I went to Hobby Lobby, and when they had all of their food safe glass containers on sale for 50%, which they happened to just by luck right when I was doing all of this, then I purchased some of those different containers, some taller ones or some larger ones. Make sure they're food safe, though, for things like the spaghetti or the pasta noodles. But I only ended up having to purchase probably about eight containers that everything else I already had on hand with the mason jars. Now, for bulk food items, this is what I do, and this is what actually the majority of those glass containers that I purchased were for, is I keep a container of it in my main pantry or my main cooking area. But the large part of it, when I buy it in bulk, which is for my long, long-term long food storage, I keep in a back pantry or my food storage area. So, for example, I purchase 50-pound bags of my organic hard white wheat berries and my spelt berries for grinding up into my own flour. Those I just purchase in big bulk containers. But I cannot keep 50 pounds, 100 pounds if I have both of those, and that doesn't even include the einkorn or the other berries that I have. I can't keep 100 pounds of wheat berries in just a little cupboard shelf within the kitchen, right? So instead, I keep a large glass container of all my grains in the cupboard right above where my flour grinder sits. And then I want to make sure that everything is labeled so that I can quickly glance at it. Because if you've got three or four different kinds of wheat berries, if you really look at them, I can tell the difference because einkorn is smaller, spelt is a little bit more red, the einkorn is lighter, whereas the hard white wheat is larger and lighter colored. But if you just look at a glance, it's easier to tell if you've just got them all labeled. So I labeled all of mine. I just use chalkboard labels and a chalkboard pen. And then that way, if I ever need to swap out what's in there, I can easily just wipe it clean, write the new tag, and away we go. So I keep those glass containers, like I said, with those wheat berries right above my home grain mill. That way I don't have to run to the back pantry every time I want to grind flour to get the wheat berries. But again, I don't have 100 pounds worth of wheat berries just sitting on a kitchen shelf because it would probably bust it out. So when I start to get low on the container that's in the kitchen that I'm grinding from, then I just go back to my back stock or to my food storage and refill it. So using this method means that I know I need to reorder when my back stock has reached 25% or less so that I never run out. So I don't let my back stock get all the way to zero on those items. I put it on my list or reorder it my grains, I actually, our local co-op, I can place an order with them and they will order me a 50 pound bag. And then they also give me a 10% discount on top of that. But I do have to place the order with them. There's other things that I just buy in bulk from like Costco that I don't need to place an order. I just need to put it on my list for the next time that I go. So depending upon the order, the food and where I get it from depends on, like I said, if ordering or not. But my goal is as soon as I reach 25% in my back stock, because that means I've just filled up the stock that's in my kitchen I'm immediately cooking with, and that back stock's reached 25%, it goes on the list to repurchase, and then I never run out of, never run out in the kitchen where I'm cooking, but I never run all the way out within the back stock either. But I don't get a huge glut built up either because it's prop, it, we need to practice proper food 
rotation, even in our long-term food storage. Another thing that's been really helpful in the kitchen, especially with the food, is to keep like items together. So I keep my baking items together in one cupboard. So I've got all my different types of flours, almond flour, a little bit of organic all-purpose flour. I get that from Costco. Brown golden flax, which I will use to make some gluten-free flours, coconut flour, and then baking soda, baking powder, you know, all of that type of stuff, cocoa powder that I would use for baking, my coconut oil and all of that. But then I've got items that I don't really use in my everyday baking, but they are baking related. So what I did is those don't go in the cupboard that's right by the stove or my baking area that I'm going to be using all the time and need quick access to. So we're going back to that criteria. Is it in the location that I'm using it daily, weekly? So instead, I have found that bins, you guys, bins are a lifesaver. And I got some I could just reuse if you've got some boxes that are large enough and you can use those. I did go to the dollar store and pick up some bins. Oh my goodness, it is revolutionized the way that everything is stored so much easier. But I have a bin of miscellaneous baking ingredients like unsweetened shredded coconut, my pie weights, which is just a quart of old dried beans, which we're going to talk about dried beans in just a minute coming up here. And then I've got my backup bags or my food storage bags of organic semi-sweet chocolate chips. So I have a half gallon mason jar in my baking cupboard, but I also keep a, my backup stock in this bin. And so all of these just miscellaneous baking things get put in this bin because I don't use them all the time, but I want them all together. It keeps them neat. And all I have to do is look in that bin and I can immediately see, okay, I'm getting low of this. I'm almost out of that. It really keeps it together. And then nothing is falling back behind something else because it's all contained. So how do you go building up your food storage? Once we've got everything all organized, right? Then you're going to see where you're short of things because it's at a glance. You're just going to be able to look through those glass containers. You know where all your items are and you can see, okay, I'm low on this. Or I don't have a backup of this. This is not a food storage. So let's talk about this. You'll find that my advice on this is very, very practical. Stock what you're currently using. I don't believe in investing in huge amounts of food storage on food that you're not going to be using in your everyday life. I do believe in having food storage, absolutely, but not on things that you're not going to be using regularly, at least not huge amounts of them. Buying up a huge 50-pound bag of dried beans may seem like a great deal. Dried beans can be very frugal. They can be excellent ways to stretch a meal. They've got lots of good nutrients in them that can help us. But if you're, and this is where this really has to be customized to each one of us, if you're not regularly cooking with dried beans, then this is a waste of your money. Either use that dried beans, put them in a meal plan, get to using those bad boys, or don't buy them. Contrary to popular statements or a largely held belief, dried beans don't last forever. After about two years, they start to lose their moisture. And even if you soak them overnight and do hours of simmering, so in a slow cooker or on the stove where you're cooking them for hours and hours and hours, they can still remain tough. They're really chewy. They don't ever taste like they're done. And it doesn't matter how long you cook them. They're never going to cook correctly. Making sure that we use up our stock before it goes bad is really important. And one surefire way to make sure we're doing that is to only buy things that we're eating on a regular basis. 
keep track of the ingredients in the food you're using over the next month. Now, one caveat is this sometimes changes with the seasons to a degree. I use a lot more canning salt and vinegar during canning season. So that's something at certain times of the year I know I need to stock more of. But after you have a good handle on the foods you use often, just pick a few. If you're just starting out with food storage and you don't have a ton of extra money to really invest here, just pick a few to buy double of the next time you're at the store or the item comes on sale. I try to do when I know something is on sale for my food storage that I'm going to be using, that's when I stock up on it, if at all possible. For example, organic chocolate chips. Organic's the only way I'll go with that because chocolate chips, there are some brands that don't have soy lecithin in them, but for organic chocolate chips, the semi-sweet, most of them have soy in it. And the only way that we'll eat soy, and I still try to keep it at a big, big minimum and not very often, is if it's organic because soy is a highly genetically modified crop. That's my rule. If we're going to be eating it, it's got to be organic. So for my organic chocolate chips, regularly those, and I get them at Fred Meyers, which by the way, all of the brands in the stores that I'm referencing within this podcast episode, there's no affiliation and no sponsorship. They're just really where I buy my stuff at. The Simple Truth brand at Fred Meyers is the brand of organic chocolate chips that I'm currently buying right now. They're ones that I can afford and they're easily accessible. They do have some soy lecithin in there, but it is organic, so I'm okay with buying them. We each got to make that determination for ourselves, right? But here's the deal. Usually they're about $4.29, sometimes $3.99 is kind of the regular price where they kind of fluctuate at. So when they came on sale at Christmas time, they were on sale for $2.49 a bag. Guys, that was so cheap, and I know that I'm going to use them. There's something, I use about two bags a month, on average, more during the holiday season of chocolate chips. I bought, oh my goodness, like 10 or 15 bags. (laughs) So I've got a major back stock of them, but I knew that I used them. I knew approximately how much I used. So I was able to take advantage of that sale and really build up my food storage with that particular item. I keep a back grocery store, and I've talked about that exactly what I do with the Wheat berries, I try to do the same thing with a lot of my other staple items that I buy from the store. I keep a back grocery store and it's a closet, which is where our food storage is at the back of the house that doesn't have any windows. So it doesn't let any light in because light will break down and degrade your food faster. And it's away from the wood stove. So it's at the coolest part of the house as well, which is good for the long term longevity, the shelf life of our food storage. It's off the kitchen. It's actually you go from the kitchen into the laundry room, into this closet. But it is relatively close to the kitchen. That is what I call my grocery store or my food storage. But everything that I'm using within the kitchen to prepare our meals, I want to back up so that when the jar that's in my cupboard that I'm using of chocolate chips is empty, I can go to my back food storage, to my grocery store, my personal home grocery store, get the stock from there and fill it up Then when that's empty or almost empty, I try not to let it actually get empty, but use that 25% rule and that back food storage. Then I put it on my list to repurchase. I try to do this with the foods that we're using all the time on a really regular basis. So for example, in my back grocery store, I have organic sugar, 
salt, both canning salt and my regular mineral sea salt, wheat berries, rice, dried beans, butter, which the butter is actually kept in the deep freezer, my excess butter, coconut oil, chocolate chips, baking soda, vinegar, and vanilla extracts. And I make my own vanilla extract, but I have a bottle that I use in my baking cupboard. And then I always have another batch brewing in the back so that I, because vanilla takes weeks to brew and to make when you're making it at home. And then that way I can refill when I use the one up in the cupboard and then just start another one. So it's a continual rotation there. But these are the items that I purchased from the store, purchased the ingredients to make. And I make sure I never run out of. So I've always got a back stock and that back stock doesn't even get allowed to be completely depleted. Now, when it comes to the items we raise and preserves ourselves, that's a completely different set. And like I said, you could go back to episode number 124 to find out more about that. And if you are interested in wanting this to be your year where you are raising and preserving more of your own food to build up your food storage and create a kitchen and home that really works for you, then I encourage you to check out the Pioneering Today Academy, which is my membership site. And I take you through season by season, step by step with video tutorials that walk you through how we do all of this here on our homestead. And you also will be joining a community of hundreds of other people and members who are doing the exact same thing. In fact, we just had in our bonus January members only bonus video where we went through for the month of January and did this live. I went live in our private Facebook group and walked everybody through as I was doing it. And then we all had suggestions and posted pictures as we were getting it done. It was great inspiration for all of us to get things organized and ready as we gear up to go into the planting and harvest season that's going to be coming very, very soon. For our verse of the week, this week we are in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. This is the amplified version. That is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by means of the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. This was a verse that our pastor was preaching on this past Sunday. As I was reading it, of course, it applies to our faith. But I was really reminded of the fact that all of us at one point in time, be it our homesteading journey, cooking food from scratch, whatever it is in life, we all have times where we get a little bit discouraged or maybe a little bit tired. Things aren't new and shiny anymore. Our passion is waning just a little bit. And that passion or that excitement, the rekindling, so to speak, as we're talking about from the verse, it doesn't just spontaneously happen. That's why God's word tells us to stir it up. We have to stir up the ember for the gift that God has given us. So we have to be practice in our faith, practice, and this really flows over even into our homesteading, maybe keeping our kitchen organized, but we have to get ourselves motivated sometimes. So if you find yourself slipping into that spot where you're not really excited and on fire about it, there's lots of things that can be evaluated, but I think it's really important that we remember to surround ourselves with people who are like-minded, a community of people 
Because when we're not feeling necessarily inspired, I can't tell you how many times I've not really been feeling something, but when I listen to a podcast or I'm in some of my own membership groups and I get to go into that group and I see what everybody else is doing and how inspiring and excited they are, it rubs off. It kindles you back up. So I think it's so important in all aspects of our life be it our faith, our relationships with other people, our how we're managing our home, whatever is important to us, that if we start to kind of feel down a little bit, that we make sure that we're surrounding ourselves with a community and ways to get inspired and stirred up again. So I hope that the Pioneering Today community is one of those things for you. And I want to thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We'll talk again soon. Bye.